Hey, welcome back to uh, yet another episode of Sitting at the Feet of Jesus. I am your host, Patrick Ransom. Thank you for tuning back in after an extended uh, Christmas holiday. It's great to uh, have you guys join again. The question of the hour is this. Who is Jesus to you? It's the same question Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew chapter 16 when he asked, who do you say that I am? I would argue it's the most crucial question that any of us ever needs to answer correctly. Because how you and how I answer that question has eternal implications. How you view Jesus determines your need for Jesus. Let me repeat that. How you view Jesus determines your need for Jesus. One of the benefits of walking through the Gospel of John, which we're going to begin doing here week by week, chapter by chapter, um, which, by the way, is called a Lectio Continua, or Latin for continuous reading, um, week by week, chapter by chapter, is to practice the reading of Scripture over a sequence or a period of time. And in doing so, especially in, the, in John's Gospel, we're going to see the person and ministry of Jesus unfold before our very eyes. John tells us that in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? He's using the in the beginning Genesis language to associate that creator God is also the same person he's talking about here. The Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, and he dwelt among us in the person of Jesus. And we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We're told that the Gospel of John is written in chapter 20, verse 31. It gives us this purpose. It says, The Gospel of John is written so that you may believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and thus have life in his name. John is not trying to um, persuade you to believe in some general notions about Jesus, such as he was just a good man, or perhaps he was a great teacher, or even a great prophet of God. No, no, John wants you to believe specifically that Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the anointed one who was prophesied in the Old Testament and revealed in the New he wants you to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, which means he is God in human flesh. So when I ask you this morning, who is Jesus to you? Do you see him as just a good man or a great teacher or a great prophet? Or do you see him as the promised Messiah, the Christ? Because remember, how you view Jesus determines your need for Jesus. This morning, we're going to be in chapter 4, and we're going to look at Jesus' encounter with this Samaritan woman at the well and how her view of Jesus progresses from simply being a Jew, a Jewish man, to that of being the Christ. Go ahead and turn with me 
in your Bible this morning to John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now, the first six verses here in in chapter 4 tell us that because the Pharisees were trying to incite competition between Jesus and John the Baptist, Jesus left Judea and started north for Galilee. Now, now y'all, he could have taken uh, any one of three possible routes. Uh, First, he could have went along the coast. Second, he he could have uh, came across the Jordan and up through Perea. Or three, he could have went straight through Samaria, which would have been the shortest and quickest path. But you'll remember at this time that Orthodox Jews avoided Samaria because there was this longstanding, deep-seated hatred between them and the Samaritans. You'll remember that the Samaritans were a mixed race. They're part Jew and part Gentile that grew out of the Assyrian captivity of the 10 northern tribes in 727 BC, right? They're rejected by the Jews because they could not um, prove their genealogy, right? The Samaritans therefore established their own temple and their own religious services on Mount Gerizim. And we're told here in chapter 4, verse 4, that because Jesus was on a divinely appointed schedule It tells us here in verse 4 that it was necessary that he go through Samaria. Why was it necessary that he goes through Samaria? Well, because we'll see here in just a moment that he had to meet this woman. And he had to have this conversation and lead her into saving faith. And it's that kind of faith that would eventually affect an entire village. Verse 6 says this, So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was thus by the well, as it was the sixth hour. Now, the sixth hour in Jewish reckoning is about noontime. So here we are in May during the barley harvest. The sun would have been at high noon. It would have been hot outside. It would have been dry. Jesus and his disciples had been traveling now throughout the morning and most likely needed food and water, continued their journey. And it says the disciples went to a nearby town to look for food while Jesus deliberately waited at the well. Now, what I love here about verse 6, it says Jesus was weary and hungry and thirsty. Right? What I love about the Gospel of John is that it not only presents Jesus as the Son of God, but also as true man. Right? Our Lord entered into all the normal experiences that you and I have in our lives, and therefore he is able to identify with us in each one of them. He was weary and hungry and thirsty. And it tells us here that while he was waiting at the well, we see here at verse 7 that a woman of Samaria came to him to draw water. Now, as we walk through this encounter here in the next few verses with Jesus with this woman, I want to point out how her knowledge of Jesus progresses, right? She initially just starts as he's just this Jewish man. Then he becomes somebody greater than Jacob. Then he's maybe just a prophet. And finally, he is the Christ. Chapter 4, verse 7 says this, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time, verse 8 says, because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The the Samaritan woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, 
Uh, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift of God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. You see, folks, in that day, it was considered quite strange or even improper for a woman to go to the well to draw water by herself. Women generally came to the well in groups, not only to share the labor of drawing the water, but also to socialize. Second, she's not only going by herself, but she's going during the heat of the day. The best time to carry water, especially five-gallon buckets of about 40 pounds each, was early in the morning or just before sundown. So normally, women would go in groups and they would go in the morning or go in the evening to draw water. And here's a Samaritan woman by herself in the middle of the day. Red flags should be jumping up all over the place. Second, it was also improper for any man, especially a rabbi, to speak in public to a strange woman. But here Jesus, a Jewish man, is asking this Samaritan woman in public for a drink of water. Jesus set social customs aside because this woman's eternal salvation was at stake. Now, it certainly surprised this Samaritan woman when Jesus asked her for this drink of water, and she surmised that he was uh, most likely a Jewish rabbi, and perhaps she tried to, you know, read between the lines and find another meaning to his request. Why is he really asking me for a drink? What is he really after? And the information here that we see uh, in in John's uh, parenthesis here at the end of uh, verse 9, this was more for the benefit of the Jewish readers, right? Since the disciples had gone into the city to purchase food, it was obvious that the Jews had some dealings with Samaritans. So so John's not trying to exaggerate here. Uh, This phrase could probably best be translated, um, they ask no favors from the Samaritans or they use no vessels in common with the Samaritans. So the real question this woman is asking here is why would Jesus, a Jew, a man, want to use her polluted vessel to drink water from? You see, at this point, she she purely sees Jesus as a Jewish man. Why would Jesus, as a Jew, want to use her polluted vessel to get a drink of water? Well, you and I know, of course, Jesus' request here is simply just a way to open a conversation and share with her the truth about the living water. What's interesting here is that Jesus pointed out to the Samaritan woman that she was blind to three important facts. You'll notice this if you look back at this verse. She was blind to the fact of who he was. Second, she was blind to what he had to offer. And third, she was blind to how she could receive it. Here was eternal God in human flesh speaking to her offering her eternal life, and all she saw was a Jewish man, right? She's just the opposite of Nicodemus that we learned about a couple of weeks ago in chapter 3, right? Here's Nicodemus, a man, a Jew, a ruler, someone who has learned, powerful, respected, orthodox, uh, theologically trained, and here he's he's contrasted with this woman a Samaritan who's unschooled, without influence, a moral outcast. They couldn't be any further apart, but yet neither one of them had spiritual discernment, and y'all, both of them needed Jesus. 
And our word, our Lord's words aroused within this woman interest. She wanted to pursue this conversation. So he begins here and he says in verse 11, or she says in verse 11, sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? To which Jesus replied, anyone who drinks of this water, meaning this well water, will soon be thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. The woman said, please, sir, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. You see, Jesus was speaking about spiritual water, but she interpreted his words to mean a literal water. Again, you know, people, it's easy to see how people confuse uh, the material with the spiritual when they don't have spiritual discernment. Here, this woman was concerned about how Jesus would obtain the water, right? Sir, the, the well is deep and you have no bucket and you have no rope. She was more concerned about how Jesus would obtain the water instead of simply asking him to give her a drink of it. Of course, here, Jesus is greater than Jacob. He's greater than the well itself. And to paraphrase his reply, he says, whosoever continues to drink of this material water or anything the world has to offer will thirst again. But whosoever takes one drink of the water I give will never thirst again. Uh, friends, how true is it that the things of this world simply will never satisfy? I like what Leonard Ravenhill says on this. He says, thousands of men have every material good thing that a heart could ever wish for, and yet they are still weary and dissatisfied. Riches, rank, position, and power are all utterly unable to fill the soul. There is no satisfaction in this world until we believe on Christ. For it is Christ alone who can fill up the empty places in our inward man. Jesus tells this woman, whoever takes a drink of this water, I, I will give them something that they'll never have to thirst for again. And that, and that living water will be bubbling up in them like a spring and, and it'll be giving them this eternal life, right? A life, this Zoe, right? Is, a, is one of John's key concepts here, right? He uses Zoe at least 36 times here. Campbell Morgan uh, has pointed out that mankind needs air, water, and food in order to live, right? I, would, I might also add light, right? All of these are provided in Jesus. He provides the breath, the spirit of God. Uh, he tells us that he is the bread of life, the light of life, and he gives us the water of life. And the woman's immediate response was to ask for this gift, but she didn't quite get it. She she kind of got it, but she didn't get it, right? She says, I need this water. Please, Lord, give me this water uh, so that I don't have to come back to this well again, right? So she's still thinking very materialistic, right? The, the seed of the word fell on uh, shallow soil with her. And, and, and the shoots that sprung up had no roots. She had made some progress in this conversation, but she still had a long way to go. And so, so Jesus patiently dealt with her. And he tells us here in verse 16, he says, woman, uh, go and get your husband. 
To which she replied, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband for you have five husbands. You've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly have spoken the truth. The woman says, sir, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that the Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship while the Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim? where our our ancestors have worshipped. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth, right? The the only way to prepare the soil of the heart for the seed is to plow it up with conviction, and that's exactly what Jesus does when he asks this woman, he says, go and get your husband, right? He forces her to admit her sin, right? There can be no conversion without conviction. There must First be conviction by the Holy Spirit and repentance comes from the sinner and then there can be saving faith, right? Jesus had aroused her mind and stirred her emotions, but he was he also had to, to touch her conscience, right? And, and, and that meant dealing with her sin. To which she responds, probably the shortest response in all of the entire conversation, she simply says, I have no husband. Because she's under conviction here, right? This is the best thing that could have happened to her, right? She moves from viewing Jesus as simply just a Jewish man to somebody who was just greater than Jacob. And now she says, sir, you must be a prophet, right? You you know something that no one else knows about me. You must be a prophet. To which I will tell you folks, back to our original question, who is Jesus to you? Is he just a man? Is he a great teacher? Is he somebody great like Jacob? Or do you see him as a prophet? And that's it. Because friends, a prophet can't save, right? The prophet Muhammad can't save. Allah can't save. Muhammad can't save. Confucius can't save. Only Jesus, as the Messiah, can save. What I love about this conversation with this lady, right, is instead of listening to what Jesus has to say, she she immediately just tries to detour the conversation, right? Let's let's not talk about my sin. Let's start discussing the difference the differences between Jewish and Samaritan religions, right? You know, oh how how much more comfortable it is to discuss religion than it is to face one's sins. Um, But Jesus once again revealed her, um, I'll say, spiritual ignorance, right? She did not know who to worship or where to worship or how to worship. And Jesus here makes it clear that not all religions are equally acceptable before God, that some worshipers act in ignorance and unbelief. The only faith that God will accept is that which came through the Jews, right? The Bible is of Jewish origin, and our Savior was, was a Jew, Only those who have the indwelling Holy Spirit and who obey in truth can worship God acceptably. 
John's gospel, y'all, it clearly reveals that there is this new sacrifice, a new temple, a new birth, and then here in chapter four, a new water. Uh, the biggest stumbling block for this Samaritan woman and for many unbelieving Jews today is that they simply see Jesus as a prophet and nothing more. They fail to realize that God has established in Christ a whole new economy, that the old law, the old covenant law, has been fulfilled in Christ. Look with me here as we wrap this up. Verse 25 says, The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And verse 26, Jesus tells her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back and they were shocked to find him talking with the woman, but none of them have the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everybody, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming back from the village, right? In spite of her ignorance, there was one truth this woman did know that the Messiah was coming and he would reveal the secrets of hearts. Where did she learn this truth? We'll never know. But that seed that had been buried in her heart until that very hour, uh, now it was going to bear fruit. Jesus' response to her, in effect, was, oh, you're waiting on the Messiah, somebody to come set everything straight so that you know all the answers? Well, good, you don't have to wait any longer. I am he. I am the Messiah. I am the one who was promised, right? In the Greek, this is the phrase, I am, it's the, the, is particularly emphatic. This is the ego, I, me. Harkens back to God's self-identification to Moses back in Exodus chapter three. I am who I am. Both Jews and Samaritans, upon hearing Jesus proclaim this, would have known exactly what he meant. Remember, how you view Jesus determines your need for Jesus. At this point, the Samaritan woman no longer viewed Jesus simply as a man or somebody greater than Jacob or somebody who was simply a prophet. Instead, she identifies him as the long-awaited Messiah. And under the conviction of her sin, she realizes her need for a Savior and places her faith in Jesus Christ. And we're told immediately that she wanted to share her faith with others, so she returned to her village and told the men that she had met the Christ. And what I think is amazing is when you consider how little spiritual truth this woman knew, um, her desire to go witness to her community is quite remarkable. God used her simple testimony, uh, and many of the people came out to that well, and they met Jesus, right? She was the very least likely prospect for salvation, yet God used her to win an entire village. I love this. John Wolverd says this. He says, never does a soul value the gospel medicine until it feel, feels its disease. Never does a man see any beauty in Christ as a savior until he discovers that he is himself a lost and ruined sinner. Who is Jesus to you? It's a question that I asked at the beginning. It's the question I'll close with. It's a personal question. It's a question that Jesus asked his disciples, one that Peter responded, you are the son of God. Who is Jesus to you? Is he a man? Is he a great teacher? Friends, is he simply a prophet? 
Or is he the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Son of God who was prophesied in the Old Testament and revealed to us in the New, God in human flesh, provider of living water, the giver of eternal life? Friends, if you're hearing my voice today, it is the most crucial question that any of us ever needs to answer correctly. Who do you say that I am? Father, I thank you for this message today. I thank you for yet another podcast um, in 2023. What a, a powerful year it's going to be, and your word will flourish. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. We'll see you next time.